went from passing the blunt to Talib Kweli at the party to now answering phones. And it was a very uh, humbling experience for me because I thought I was the shit. Hey everyone, I'm Jason V, and this is Local Color. My guest today is the multi-talented Andrea Boston. A Midwesterner, Andrea has called the East Coast home for some time now and has come to embrace its gruff nature. We'll talk about Andrea's talents being expressed early in life, the winding and frequently frustrating road to success, and working at a Baltimore institution that's experiencing a shift in vision and what it's like to be part of that shift. Stay tuned. The sounds of Druid Lake Park serve as a backdrop to Andrea's interview. The park is her favorite place in the city, and we found ourselves under a tree sitting at an old picnic table. So I'm originally from Kansas City, Kansas, Wyandotte County, where Janelle Monet is from. Um, my parents are both from here. All my family's here, both sides. And my parents essentially moved out to Kansas for my father's work. And that's where I was born. And I stayed in Kansas until I was eight years old. Did your parent, uh, was your dad in the military? No, he was an orthopedic surgeon, but he was an ROTC and he had to give some years back to them in some way. So went to Fort Leavenworth oh, yeah. to work at the um, Army Hospital mm -hmm. and then started his practice in Kansas. Growing up in Kansas was like a dream for Andrea. She was the youngest of four. The only girl, so I was very much, well, I'd say a little spoiled, but also very protected by my three older brothers. Her family lived on 10 acres of land, so there was no shortage of places to let a child's imagination run wild. I also spent a lot of time in the house. I had tea parties with stuffed animals. I loved Barbie and set Barbie up with all these like soap opera drama style scenarios people cheating on each other people getting married like i was into it but it all came from television because we watched a lot of tv andrea was a curious child and her family fostered that curiosity her dad was a film buff and taught andrea everything she knew about movies each of her three brothers gave her a different perspective on music from hip-hop to movie scores to pantera Andrea's mother worked at a radio station in Kansas. Playing reggae, KKFI in Kansas City. So I was just surrounded by music, surrounded by film, and that just helped spark my imagination. Young Andrea was like a pot over an open flame, and her family were just pouring ingredients into her. As she got older, the ingredients began to simmer and cook into a gumbo, the flavors and juices of creativity locking into her bones and brain. Eventually, that creativity began to manifest itself in a way completely independent of her family, in a way Andrea could understand. I remember at five years old, I made a newspaper out of stapled post-it notes. <laughs> My dad had a pack of post-it notes, and I just went around the house saying, hey, what's the news? Give me the story. And everybody gave me the little story. I think my father said something like, John Brown got hit by a tractor today. But he's going to be all right. No. Well, he was oh, in real life, but I think he was just yeah, making yeah. that up. Um, and I wrote all those stories down and made my first newspaper. So journalism, for sure, was something that started early for me. She also wrote and illustrated short stories. While creativity and having an imagination is great for early childhood development, Andrea's dad placed a premium on education. So my father's side of the family is 
very focused on education and success. You know, they were all politicians and, you know, professors. They went to Yale, the Ivy League. Like, that side of the family was very much into school. So that was something that he pressed into me was academics. And that was something that was given to me. Find a career, pick the path, and be as successful as you can be on that path. So I focused heavy on school. While I was a creative person, and I think my mother kind of fueled that or encouraged that, I also had the voice of my father in my head to focus on grades and books and test scores. Parents want the best for their children, and they do whatever they can to make sure their children have the best opportunities at success in life. Much to their father's dismay, however, Andrea and her brothers were not too interested in science or academia. He always tells us he gave money to his alma mater, University of Maryland, um, so that we could go and get, what's it called? Legend, not legend, um, legacy, yes. <laughs> so that we could have that opportunity and none of us chose medicine. And I think he's still disappointed by that. Children will always disappoint their parents at some point in their lives, but that disappointment is a two-way street. I don't recall, I don't have any memories of them arguing. You know, I don't have any visual or vivid memories of there being turmoil in the household. What I do recall is my father not being around very often. He was there, but he would kind of be in and out. But I just thought, that's just what dads do. <laughs> you know, he was on call, he worked a lot. Um, so I guess part of it was work, perhaps part of it was the dissolution of their marriage, I don't know. That's the image that I have. And then I don't recall a particular day when we were told that we were moving, but at eight years old, I remember giving my bicycle to my best friend, her name was Carla, and we packed up all our stuff and drove to Baltimore with my mom. Baltimore was familiar to Andrea. Her family spent summers there visiting cousins and other family members, but the sting of leaving home was still fresh in Andrea's mind. Andrea's brothers came with her out to Baltimore. But eventually they went back because they were early teens, about to start high school, and they didn't want to start over at that tender age in an entirely new city. As Andrea settled in Baltimore, she had to get used to living in a new city and get used to living in a new city without her partners in crime. A, leaving my brothers, who were my best friends, my heroes, and coming to Baltimore, which has its own distinct culture, as you know, its own distinct style. And as a kid, of course, you adapt easily, but just learning things like little things, like how to open up and enjoy a crab, or snowballs, or how to turn the double dutch ropes, you know? I still don't know how to jump in because I never learned, but I can swing those ropes. Or even <laughs> things like hopscotch. Now we have cement walkways and sidewalks that you can draw hopscotch on. So I learned how to do that. In Kansas, it was all grass and gravel. Getting back to your parents and your family and such, after your parents divorced, did you still maintain good contact or a good relationship with your dad and your brothers? I did. So I would spend most summers and some holidays traveling back to Kansas to spend with my brothers and my father. And, um, you know, I talked to them on the phone often, would write them letters. So I did my best as a kid to keep in touch with my brothers. But still, I think, unfortunately, like, we're still very close. We're extremely close. But there are certain inside jokes that they have among the three of them that I'm not involved in because I wasn't there when they created that moment, you know? So there are certain ways that I feel, while I am the youngest of four kids, I was also in some ways raised kind of like an only child. And did you ever 
talk to your parents about why they split up or is that something that you just had no interest in? I think it was a mix of infidelity and I think ultimately they just were not a good match. My father is a doctor, atheist, kind of science-minded man. My mother is an artist, free spirit, you know, universally-minded woman. And I just think, you know, she grew out locks, changed her name when we were kids. Like, I just think that they were ill-matched. Andrea did what she could to stay in touch with her Kansas family, and though she was alone in Baltimore, she began to develop her sense of self. So I'm in Baltimore now. I remember there was a summer I spent in Kansas with my family. I was homeschooled for 7th and 8th grade. It's a whole other story. (laughs) But there was a summer I spent, the summer before high school, I was 14, and my dad ripped out this article out of a magazine with a list of careers and they were ranked by or ranked in order of salary of course and he's like here here's a list of things you can do pick one he he scratched out like if there's like a list of 25 he scratched out the bottom 20 (laughs) i'm sure he would have liked to (laughs) he didn't scratch them out but he just gave it to me like here you got to pick something pick it and stick with one so i flipped through and there was education and medicine and all this other to me boring stuff and then I came across journalism. If, of course, it was at the bottom of the list in terms of um, earnings. But I was a kid who wrote. I always had a journal with me. As I told you, I wrote little short stories. So writing was, yeah, I read constantly. Words and writing were something that came naturally to me. I'm not a very good speaker, I don't think, but I'm an excellent writer. <laughs> and for the first time, I had journalism as a word to encompass what it is that I enjoyed and it was it helped me realize okay this is something that I could do to make money with these words so then I just ran with it I went to high school I went to Mercy High School here in Baltimore on Northern Parkway and I worked for the school paper I had an internship at the Baltimore Sun Um, you know I was very much into whatever I can learn about journalism I'm into it and I was very much focused I was a super geek in high school um, there were only, I would say, about 10 black girls in our entire class, give or take. And now how big was your entire class? Our graduating class was, I think, maybe 105, 107 or so girls, and we had about 10 black girls total. We all stuck together, but I was kind of the quirky one. I've always been the quirky one, um, just with the music that I listened to. Um, I was always a very kind of sheltered kid, so I didn't, I wasn't up on the sex conversations and all that type of stuff. I didn't have a boyfriend. Like, I was a dweeb. I was very much into my studies, books, grades, so that I could meet these standards, so that I could please certain people, meaning father, (laughs) you know, and get into college. You know, I wanted scholarships and that type of thing. So I was, I was a dweeb. Yeah, that was high school. (laughs) We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I continue my conversation with Andrea. I'm Jason V. This is Local Color. Hey, thanks for joining us. This is Local Color. I'm Jason V. Before the break, my guest Andrea Boston talked about her upbringing in Kansas. Her parents were loving and kind, though the love between them was lost. They ended up getting divorced, and Andrea moved to Baltimore with her mother, and her three brothers stayed behind with their father in the Midwest. 
At the time of the divorce, Andrea was only eight years old, so she didn't really understand what was happening. She'd come to understand it as she got older. As she grew up in Baltimore, she finished middle school and high school. Then it was off to college. I went to Philadelphia. I went to Temple University. I was so focused on journalism, but after all the internships and everything, I realized newspapers weren't really my angle, but I loved magazines. I always had a subscription to some sort of magazine. Teen people, teen... Um, all of the I had tons of magazine subscriptions because I just loved magazines it was like a production I loved the paper I loved the design the pictures the words it was just a complete production that all these people came to create this experience for you and you had to hold on to that experience until the next month when they created a brand new experience for you that was all new Temple University had a magazine journalism track in their journalism school and I went to Philly and around that time, they had tons of, I won't say tons, but there were several publications focused on black culture, like Vibe, Source, eventually Vibe Vixen. There was Honey Magazine and Suede. Um, all these magazines, kind of fo essence, of course, focused on black culture, particularly the voice through the voice of women. And I thought, that's for sure what I want to do. I want to be editor-in-chief of some sort of magazine. Talk to me about your time in Philly, because at this point you went from Kansas to Baltimore to Philly. I assume that there was another culture shock? Wasn't a culture shock. I think at 18, I was so excited to leave Baltimore. Like I said, I was kind of a sheltered kid, and I was ready to just break free of the chains, you know, and just figure it out for myself. And Philly gave me that opportunity. When I think back on my college years, I had a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful time. I can't stress how great that experience was. Temple, like the professor supported me. I met dope people. Um, this is the first time I'm around such a large group of black people. Well, no, I won't say that because I went to all black schools except Mercy. But it was just the first time I was around black people, but then there were also like Latino people. This was the first time I had my first friends from Puerto Rico in the Dominican Republic, and I had friends from India. Like it was a huge not melting pot, but it was just a gathering of people from all over the world who just came to Temple. Yes, and it was amazing because I never really had that experience. And not to mention Philly at the time, musically, like that was when Memphis Bleak and Freeway and Petey Crack and Jay-Z had his Philly connection and Jill Scott and what's the other? Music Soul Child and The Roots. Like musically, locally, it was popping. And I had an extraordinary time. I excelled there and... It wasn't quite a culture shock because I think Philly in some ways is a bit similar to Baltimore. It's just a bigger version. It looks kind of the same. Um, maybe the slangs and styles might be a bit different, but it's similar to Baltimore. So it wasn't that much of a shock. It was just an extension of what I had already experienced um, through my adolescence. Philly was freeing for Andrea. By this time, she was old enough to understand what happened between her parents, and that disappointment influenced Andrea's approach to relationships. In Philly, she could leave all that behind and give herself fully to the dream she had of making it big in publishing. And what did you do once you finished school? Did you immediately move up to New York? Right at graduation, I had an internship or was accepted to an internship at Entertainment Weekly in New York. So that's where I went right after I graduated. I went up to New York City and worked in magazines for a while as an intern. And what was that experience like? 
again, it was wonderful. So I had, like, I idolized people. There's a woman named Amy Dubois Barnett, who was the editor-in-chief of Honey Magazine at the time, and then eventually Teen People. And there was a woman named Mimi Valdez, who was the editor of Vibe. So I had that in my mind as the goal. Like, I want to do that. So working even as an intern was great. I got a chance to write. I met so many people. I thought I was doing some shit. You know, here I am in New York. I'm fly, you know, working at the magazine. Um, Did you feel like you were living single? <laughs> I guess so, yeah. It was. It was a really, really good time for me. And this is another, like, that was a bit of a culture shock, but not so much because I went from Kansas to Baltimore to Philly to now New York. So it's like graduating in levels of complexity with navigating city life, I guess. So here I am, I am in New York. Philly kind of taught me how to navigate the city on foot or bus, train, so that kind of prepared me to figure out how New York worked. And I fucked up many times, but I caught on to how the city moved and I just ran with it. And it was a great time to be 23, 22, and free. If Philly was freeing for Andrea, New York was pure magic. The city dazzled her with its electric energy and endless possibilities. Things are always great before they go bad. So I get to New York. I work at Entertainment Weekly. I moved to an internship at Travel and Leisure magazine. And I got my very first job as an editorial assistant for a website, now defunct, called BlueEgg.com. It was started by a woman who started a magazine called Time Out New York, which was popular at the time. I don't know if it still is. But I agreed to do the job because I thought, oh, cool, I get to work with Cindy Stivers. But this was also around the time the Going Green movement was becoming a thing. And she was kind of jumping on that initiative. And I wrote about sustainable building and sustainable design and things like that, which for me was boring. And I felt like that vision of being Mimi Valdez was getting farther and farther away from me because here I am writing about sustainable roofing techniques or whatever. So eventually that website folded and through a connection, I worked at a site called OK Player, which was, yeah, run by or started by Questlove of the Roots. And so... That was fun. I worked as the guy's name was Dan Petruzzi, who ran the site at the time, and I worked as his assistant and doing writing. I managed Erica Badu's. There was something called, no, it was her MySpace page and other social media platforms that were popular at the time. So I, it was fun. So you managed her MySpace page? I did <laughs> for a while. It was easy. I mean, it was just MySpace. I think I responded to some comments or liked certain things just made sure the page looked fresh and active Um, but I also wrote things for the website it was a really really fun time it was a short time because this was also around the time the economy was tanking and I was eventually laid off it was a wonderful experience skipping lines at parties and it was just it was fun it was so fun but he knew the guy who ran the site knew someone who worked at a site called emusic.com which was Um, independent music downloading so it was like the indie iTunes I guess at the time I don't think it's around anymore and I worked as the administrative assistant so again my vision of being Mimi Valdez is getting farther and farther away because now here I am as eMusic's kind of desk bitch um, as the administrative assistant and I went from passing the blunt to Talib Kweli at the party to now answering phones and it was a very uh humbling experience for me because I thought I was the shit. So 
So I worked there for a while, and to keep myself from going crazy, I started writing album reviews because every album or single needed some copy next to it to kind of let people know what they were about to download. So I started writing album reviews, that was the very first time, and then I eventually started doing it freelance for OK Player, and then for others, and people started seeing my words and started saying, hey, can you write artist bios for me? So I started doing artist bios. Um, and then that's when the road to copywriting opened up. I became a copywriter. I left eMusic and started working at a nonprofit, again, Mimi Valdez, farther and farther away. <laughs> I'm working at a, as a copywriter for uh, Ashoka, which was a nonprofit organization uh, writing copy for their website. At this point, I'm learning content management systems and how to work with the web, HTML code. Like I'm moving from print production to now everything is online. Um, and I worked as a copywriter with Ashoka and then off and on as a contractor for other people for several years until I realized I was broke living in a teeny tiny uh, par a room in an apartment in Brooklyn and I was depressed and it just wasn't working for me. Andrea was learning the same lesson we all learn after college. You can do everything right and still lose. Making your dreams come true was a war of attrition, and Andrea's rations and morale were at an all-time low. I tried so hard to achieve this vision that I had for myself in a series of decisions that I made. A relationship that I chose to stay in just kind of took me down a path of depression. And I said, you know what? Screw New York. I'm leaving. I'm going home. What was that experience like? It was devastating. It was completely devastating to leave New York and come back home. I felt like I failed because, you know, here I am seeing myself as, I guess I saw New York as this place where you just make it. Yeah, the Mecca. Exactly. And I felt like, and I remember that around that time, that song with Jay-Z and Alicia Keys came out. And there's a line, what is it, um, if you can make it here, he said something about if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere or something like that. And I felt like, fuck, I didn't make it. <laughs> I'm just showing, I'm sorry. And, <laughs> yeah. and it was, you know, I'm leaving, I broke up with my city, I broke up with my boyfriend, you know, and here I am in Baltimore starting over, not knowing what I was going to do. Everything had been focused on media, which at the time I thought lived in New York City. What am I going to do in Baltimore? Baltimore is a health town. What am I supposed to do here? Um, it took me a really long time to find my way. Um, I worked a bunch of odd jobs. It was just, it was a bad time. <laughs> it was a bad time, but around that time, I could say, I started a project that gave me some hope. We're going to take another quick break, and when we come back, Andrea finds herself amidst the rubble of her broken dreams. I'm Jason V. This is Local Color. Hey, this is Local Color. I'm Jason V. Before the break, my guest Andrea Boston hit a low point, professionally and personally. She went from being a part of the in-crowd in New York's music scene to... E-music's kind of desk bitch. With no new prospects and money drying up, Andrea left New York and returned home to Baltimore feeling defeated. She did odd jobs to make ends meet, though she was still feeling down and out. Nothing helps you grow quite like watching your dreams crash and burn. 
It hurts because you form your identity around that dream and you're forced to regroup and find a new plan of attack. I started a project that gave me some hope. What project? I did, I started a book of short stories that I edited and a film series called The Odd Flower Project. And that gave me a creative outlet and something to focus on outside of the fact that I am a failure. Or at least that's what I was feeling at the time. It initially started when I was still living in New York and I was in, I've mentioned this relationship, just a bad, bad scenario, unhealthy situation. And this person wanted me to look a certain way, dress a certain way, you know, to look more or present as more traditionally sexy, I guess, which has never been me. That's just not my style. It's not how I feel comfortable. And it reminded me of being a younger person wanting to look a certain way and be a certain way to try to fit in, but it never really worked because I've always been sort of quirky. I wanted to connect with other people who may have had a similar experience of trying to fit in, but just never really feeling that they've never really feeling that they were aligned with society's norms, or I should say expectations of what a woman should be. And so I was on a train one day, working a contract job, writing some notes down, and I said, well, what if I put together a book of short stories where women write about their experiences growing up being different, or feeling like an outsider for whatever reason, whether it was because of the music they listened to, or how they dressed, or whatever. So I had a blog at the time, and I put out a call, got some, some submissions, and I edited them down to six stories and did some design. My friend cleaned up the design for me and I put together the book. That's back to your magazine roots. Exactly! <laughs> exactly. I love a production. Um, but I realized, well, maybe people aren't really going to read these. So I said, well, maybe I should do a film series, turn this into a film series. So I made a list of people I wanted to talk to, went out and interviewed them, pulled in some friends who helped me out either for free or for the cheap and I put together a series of videos where I interviewed women just talking about what it is that made them stand out. Because being different now is considered cool, or now it's just more acceptable, I guess. But there was a time when if you were a black person listening to a certain type of music, that wasn't cool. I distinctly remember getting the shit flamed out of me in middle school for skateboarding. I took that weight back in 01 and 02, so today, y'all could skateboard and wear gauges and listen to Juice World and Lil Uzi, which is basically emo music. Y'all are welcome. Anyway, the Odd Flower Project helped Andrea get out of the funk one gets into when their life is in shambles. It also helped her personally. It took a long time for me to say, I like who I am and I'm going to be who I am. I think... In some ways, I was seeking inspiration from these women who were proudly displaying who they were. So it was like, I will express myself through these women's stories. I can't say it or express it on my own, but I will let them speak for me or through me in some way. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Um, and it was a sense of rebellion for me. I was rebelling from trying to you know, just be that type of woman that people just, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. But I just didn't fit that mold. And I think doing that project definitely gave me a creative outlet. It gave me a way to express myself. It gave me something to focus on. And it also helped me realize I love production. I love an idea and executing that idea. I love bringing all the people together to make that vision come to life. I love budgeting and scheduling and just all the little minute details of putting on a show. 
The self-proclaimed Odd Flower continued working odd jobs in Charm City and eventually landed her first real job since leaving New York. We were, talk- we were talking about you working at, what was it? Uh, ABC2. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, it allowed me to bring all of the skills that I had kind of dabbled in into one space. Web, some social media, writing, filming, photography, like all that came together into that one position. And um, I learned so much. It was a very, another depressing time of my life, just because news itself is depressing. But I learned quite a bit, and it it gave me a chance to just bring all those skills together. As a former radio journalist, I can support Andrea's claim that working in news is depressing. The age-old saying, if it bleeds, it leads, reigns supreme in newsrooms around the world and in the U.S., it was black blood running in the streets. Coupled that with early mornings and long work days, and Andrea was getting that down-and-out feeling again. Before we get into more existential dread, Andrea started another project that gave her a sense of belonging in Baltimore. So I left when I was 18, and now I'm back in Baltimore at, what, 29, going on 30. I don't really know anybody, except the people I knew before I left when I was 18, and my family. So I didn't really have a community, I didn't have a circle. And out of the blue, one of my high school associates friended me on Facebook. We were not friends in high school, but we knew of each other. She was a year younger than me. And so we were friends on Facebook for a couple months, maybe. And then she sent me a message saying, hey, I have a book that I'm working on, and you kind of look like one of the characters. Would you be interested in being in a photo shoot? So I said, sure. And this was uh, Nia? It was Nia. (laughs) (laughs) So we met up down at, uh, I think it was Fells Point, and took some photos and from then on we just became cool we would have little lunch dates and things like that because I think she was free freelance also at the same time and one day we were sitting outside of T-Volve and we said hmm you know I want to let's do an event you know like I was tired of the New York scene that type of situation where you're meeting people's personas not their real personalities you know and just that party vibe like I didn't want that and I wanted to find what was the dope kind of chill relaxed space here in Baltimore and we said well why don't we just make it so eventually that evolved into sunsets it started out as just like a space where people could come and talk and have a drink hear some music and then eventually became more of a structured event with a format it's a at the time was a monthly gathering where we picked a theme, invited a local artist to come and talk or interpret that theme, and we always had live music, free wine. It was a good time. Andrea and Nia grew the monthly pop-up into something special, and eventually Sunsets was at venues like Center Stage Baltimore. Most recently, Sunsets had a happy hour at Motorhouse with music by DJ Trill Natured and specialty mixed drinks for the occasion. Sunsets fed Andrea's soul, but her day job was taking its toll. I knew three weeks in that I didn't want to be there, but I stayed because I needed money. the money. <laughs> stayed because money. Yeah. I stayed because of the money, yeah. and um, you know I was still learning. It was still a great learning opportunity, but it was weird because I remember maybe the first month I would say of being there, I, you know, as a digital person, you have to put the news on the web. So I put up a story about some young kid. He maybe 18, 19 years old. He had a mugshot. And he did some sort of crime. And just the look on his face, 
I just burst into tears. I had to excuse myself and I just sobbed in the bathroom like, what am I doing? How am I, you know, contributing to this message of the scary black man that you need to watch out for? And I'm crying like, where is his mom? Why is it, you know, why is he, where, why does he have a mugshot? This is so sad. You know, I was just so hurt by the information that you see at a different level in news. Like it's constant. It's almost like this helicopter view of all the dysfunction and chaos that happens locally and globally. It was just a, a complete mindfuck. But eventually you kind of get caught up in that cycle of if it bleeds, it leads. Because eventually it's like, I have goals to meet. Um, you know, I have to hit a certain number of page views uh, as it compares to other stations nationally, as it compares to other stations locally. Like, we got to make this money. You know, I got to earn my keep. So eventually it's like, if there was a headline, teen boy eats grandma's face, after a while it's like, yeah, motherfucker, eat grandma's face. Like, this is, yes, this is good. This is going to make numbers. Like, keep doing it so we can go live. You know what I mean? Like, let's talk to the, the father, the cousin, your sister, so that we can stretch the story out. Let's find out if it's a trend. Like, let's stretch this crazy as far as we can go so we can hit these numbers. And that becomes crazy. Not to mention, I'm up at 3 a.m. every morning. So after a while, it was like, I can't do this anymore. Sunsets provided Andrea and others in Baltimore with a relaxed, no-pressure atmosphere. Whether they meant to or not, it also provided opportunities for networking. Opportunities Andrea capitalized on. Through a connection that I made at Sunsets, I eventually um, ended up being hired by the BMA. Nia and I, we got hired as Sunsets to curate the music for an event they had last fall. And while we were there meeting, one of the contacts at the BMA said, oh, hey, this job is open. You should apply for it. It was listed on the website. So I applied and went through the hiring process and got hired. It was a part-time temporary job. Andrea's job responsibilities included working on the BMA social media presence, press releases. And eventually I worked there as a part-time temporary person at the museum. They hired me. They brought me on full-time. And it's my understanding that it was the first time they had someone solely focused on social media. You know, the same thing I did for ABC, I did for the BMA, just shooting little videos, doing live videos, um, editing, writing, everything I did for the station, I just brought and did for the BMA. In 2016, Christopher Bedford succeeded Doreen Bolger, the BMA's former director. Since then, Bedford has talked the Black Arts are the next big thing talk and walk the same walk. Local artist Stephen Towns had his work on display in the BMA, a few works they've purchased and added to their permanent collection. I asked Andrea how it feels to be working for an institution that defines art and is now giving black artists their due. It's a really exciting time. I have never worked at an art museum. I'm learning about all of the historical racism and bias that exists in museums as institutions. All this is kind of news to me. I mean, it's not surprising, but a lot of these conversations are new to me because my background is journalism. But being in that space and seeing black art on the walls is just heartwarming, heart exploding. I had a moment just this past week. We have the Sondheim exhibition, prize exhibition up. And a good friend of mine, Nakia Brown's work is on view, and also Stephen Towns. And so um, I walked into that space and looked at Nakia's work, and I looked at Stephen's work, and it's like, wow, how amazing is it to leave my desk, 
walk into the hallway and see a people I know on the walls of this museum and B just the quality of work and seeing that appreciated and taken in by visitors is just it's it's a wonderful time to be there it's very exciting the director has been opening up the doors to new ideas and I think that enthusiasm for acquiring and appreciating black art is trickling down into the programming, it's trickling down into the messaging, um, it's trickling down into the work that's being acquired. So it's just a very dynamic time, it's a very exciting time to be there. And it's an exciting time as a person who runs a space that is, how do I put it? It's an exciting time to be in a position where I can communicate in some ways what is valuable. We've, we've gone throughout your entire life. I started in Kansas, went over to Baltimore, up to Philly, New York, back down to Baltimore. Uh, from making your own magazines to interning to, to news to the BMA, um, what's next for you? That's a good question. And that's a question that I ask myself quite a bit. What is next for me? It's funny because throughout most of my adult life, I have been seeking something, chasing something, searching for something, you know, the perfect job or the perfect place to live or perfect relationship or the perfect creative outlet. Like I've always been searching for something. And right now, this is the first time I'm not seeking you know what I mean I'm not chasing I mean you should always be a seeker seek information and that type of thing but I'm not chasing something down so I don't know I think right now I'm just in a very peaceful space I'm just living my life creating I'm enjoying this city and I'm enjoying me for the first time if you want to get in touch with Andrea I'm on Instagram at pinup girl that's p-e-n up girl um, Sunsets is at Sunsets Be More on Instagram and Facebook. I also have a website. It's AndreaBoston.com. And also the Oddflower Project is at TheOddflowers.com. Today's episode of Local Color was written, produced, narrated, edited, and published by me, Jason V. Follow Local Color on Instagram at Local Color Podcast. You can also like Local Color on Facebook. Head to Local Color's website, LocalColorPodcast.com, where you can listen to the entire catalog. Also, please subscribe to Local Color on iTunes to get those push notifications when new episodes drop. Thanks for listening. I'm Jason V, and I'll be back with more Local Color. Local Color.